This week on the Recruitment Flex, Plum gets plumped with cash. Exciting new talent acquisition manager role with their royal family. I wonder if you have to sign a non-disclosure. Hire for skills or hire for degree. Bare minimum Mondays. Really? The Recruitment Flex starts right after these messages from our friends at Rectex. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how are you doing? Doing great. I know you didn't say anything about my hair, but I really feel like I'm having good hair lately. My apologies. (laughs) I did notice and I forgot to mention, but your hair is fantastic. Fantastic. I thought you'd like it because I know you don't like big hair. No. Yes. Well, you've got many years of, if you don't say something, I'm sure your daughters will point out to you. Dad, you didn't even notice. I've got blue eyeliner on. <laughs> well, Mallory had a haircut last week. So when I came in yeah. on Friday, the first thing she asked, she's like, do you like my hair? And of course, I loved it. I really, really loved it. It's so cute. So but you cute. need to beat her to the punch. Well, the thing is, I knew she had changed it because my wife sent a picture and I, mm-hmm. I was like, gorgeous. But then having three kids come to you and like, welcome home and all Diving that. on you. Uh, yeah. You know, and took- how was the welcome home after being gone for a week? Oh, fantastic. A week is a long time to be away from those little girls. And I, I got to tell you, I've flown quite a bit since the pandemic, not like anywhere near pre-pandemic, but it's even worse now. Just experience. It's like airlines truly do not give a fuck like they don't i'll give you an example all right this is and i'll call them out air canada so tight connection and we got delayed leaving from moncton to toronto get to toronto i'm like shit i have 15 minutes to make this connection good news the gate is literally right next to it so i'm like make it at the gate waiting and we're like 10 people on the flight making this connection No one's paying attention to us. They're helping other people. I'm like, well, this is really weird because they're still boarding. The gates are open. And then suddenly they go, they close the gate, don't say anything at all. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? And come to realize that they had taken everyone on standby and put them on the flight and all of us were in a connection. So instead of flying out at 7 a.m., I had to fly out at 1 p.m., which is six hours in an airport. Plus, we stuck in the tarmac for two hours before we took off. But that's my rant. Still, still really bad. Thank you for telling me because of my celebration of life for my mom's oldest sister who passed. 
And it's a good thing. You know, she lived a wonderful life, but I've got a lot of family coming in. And so I didn't know if Pearson was still a nightmare. When Brooke and I went down to Nashville last summer, we intentionally flew to Atlanta just to avoid having to go through Pearson, even though the flight was slightly cheaper to take that route. I didn't realize it was still that bad. Well, I think the biggest challenge I had is no communication. They completely ignored us. If you do not communicate, you are going to get people pissed Mm. off, right? I get it. It's really tough logistically. There's so many moving parts, but it goes to kind of the workers you have. It was really clear that they were understaffed, overworked, and they treat their passengers like that as well. So airports are still a mess, in my opinion. Mm. I'm sorry that happened to you. No, no. I was thinking if I had my kids, that would have been a total nightmare. But by myself, what am I going to do? I just stayed there, work and ate some uh, good food and I was good. No, but still, you did pay for a ticket and to be treated like you're annoying me when you are (laughs) standing there with your ticket. Can we please get on the plane? Wow. Special. I was thinking of you this morning because I went through the Zip Recruiter Q4 results. Then I looked at the stock and saw that it dropped almost 18% today. A little bit shocking, the numbers, but not really shocking after seeing Indies Q3 and what they were projecting for Q4. Let me break it down for you. They are down 4% year over year on Q4. They had a 26% reduction in clients. Their bigger clients spent more, but they lost a lot of clients. They were up 22% year over year, which I think is the trend that we've seen. Everyone had extremely strong Q1 and Q2 numbers. Then Q3 was a little bit down and Q4 is where they're down year over year. But the news that they gave out that really hit their stock is they estimate revenue for the full year of 2023 to be 770 to 790 million. That's a 14% year over year decline versus 2022, where they did $904 million in revenue. The other thing is they spent $500 million in marketing last year. Any surprises? So you're telling me that their revenue was $900 million and they spent more than half of it on marketing? They did. Okay, well, I think somebody's getting fired. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Like crazy, crazy numbers. Now, if you went across the board, like not just Zip, but Q4, there was a lot of fear around recession, right? And so a lot of employers pulled back and they weren't going to make hiring decisions at the end of 2022. So so that lines up. That definitely lines up. Well, that lines up, but also all of these companies are reducing their forecast for 2023. So it means that they are seeing very similar numbers in Q1. I know we're almost two months in. And I was talking to another major job board today Mm -hmm. that works with a lot of partners. And it looks like everyone is significantly down across the board, both on revenue and, and customer acquisitions. It tells us there's still a lot of fear from employers driven probably from the layoff news and recession fears that they're holding off. Hopefully, the second half of the year really perks up. I still feel confident about this year. I know we've been talking about layoffs and recessions. I still think the labor market is going to be extremely strong, but I'm glad I don't own Zipstock today. 
(laughs) (laughs) That was a bit of a zing. Okay, moving on. Great news. Our friends at Plum, so Caitlin and Jason, Mm -hmm. just announced yesterday the details of a 6 million USD round. So that's 8 million of growth funding. How about we listen to a clip of Jason explaining what they're going to be doing with this money? Sure. Go. How do you plan on using the funds? The majority of it is sales and marketing. We've really built the machine uh, that's resonating and providing value not only to our clients, but to the humans at those clients. A lot of people say that. I'll tell you this, and this is not something in the press release, but as somebody who's been at a lot of startups and a lot of different tech companies and several in the HR tech space, we're not bringing in salespeople like a lot of tech companies do. A lot of those enterprise sales reps say, hey, let's sell six months ahead to the dev calendar and we'll catch up. Plum has spent the last 10 years really building an amazing product. It's the best product I have ever had. And that's no slight on other products that I've come from. So really, it's just pouring more fuel on that fire, both in sales and marketing and making sure we can continue the swagger and the growth that we have. I assume we're going to grow exponentially more than we did this past 12 months. So Shelly, what's your thoughts here? I am so pleased. I am a big fan of Plum. I've always been in their corner from the first time I saw the product and it was demoed to us. I'm really thrilled that they've got some good investment. I think it's going to be great. I think it's a really good sign. And what I saw in the press release is a 100% increase year over year on annual recurring revenue. Fantastic news. Congrats, Plum team. Yeah. I think what I'm more excited about is actually funding in this space because I feel Mm -hmm. like it's drying up. Mm -hmm. It means if you have a good business that's growing, there's still money out there for you to go to the next step. Shelly, I have the tip of the week this week. Tell me. And it's pretty basic, but a lot of people don't know this. When you are posting jobs on a job board, on your internal site Mm -hmm. or anywhere, make sure it's a title that people would actually be searching for. I see it too many times. I'll give you an example. Receptionist, class three, full-time in the title. And that really hurts your relevancy when it comes to people looking for your job. If you just had receptionist, boom, you're going to get triple, quadruple the amount of views to your job. It also applies to internal job titles. Recruiting rock star is maybe oh, no. a, an exaggerated oh, no, no, title, no. but you know what I mean? Any Nobody title like that. Nobody still does that anymore. Please tell me that isn't no, true. No, but we still see a lot of job oh. titles with items in the title that actually don't make sense and should be taken out. It should be the title that people search for. So when you are thinking of a title for a job board, and it can yeah. be a different one than internally, just think about what would people look for when searching this job? Put yourself in the job seeker's shoes. You know, that's really good advice because I know HR puts together job titles that help them classify the job, help them build organizational reporting structures. I don't think it was ever designed or considered for talent attraction. And I think a lot of HR people are really nervous that we're trying to maybe trick people by not using the title they gave us. Even something like, you're looking for a maintenance assistant. Well, you probably want to advertise the job as a laborer because that's really what it is. But HR gets their panties in a knot 
about changing the job title. No, it's maintenance department. And how will we ever track these people if we advertise them as laborers? It's really important that talent acquisition and recruiters explain this properly. Oh, yes. To, to HR. Listen, when we make them the offer, as soon as we speak to the candidates, we'll make sure they understand it's in the maintenance department and explain on their offer letter, it's going to say maintenance coordinator or maintenance person. But if you want to attract them, it's a laborer. And, and there's no reason to not put it in the job ad itself. You can add it at the end. And internally, this role is known as this. Mm-hmm. So there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. But I think of it in a very similar way as we do with job description and job ads, right? You can still leverage your job descriptions internally. It's really that job spec and what they use to determine salaries, classification, mm-hmm. the organization. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you should be using when you're advertising. This now becomes a marketing copy. And it's the same for titles. If your exactly. titles are not Good straight tip. to the point of what people would be searching, you need to change them. Mm-hmm. Good tip. Way to go. Search. So some recruiting insights. This one, I thought of you when I read it, because King Charles is reportedly hiring for a new role within the royal family's firm, and he is looking for a talent acquisition manager. So Serge, you probably have to take a polygraph. You probably may not make it through the screening process, but would you ever work for the royal family? Of course I would. Like the royal family? Are you kidding? You'd have to pass a polygraph. Well, that might be an issue. And I'm not a fan of the royal family. I really don't care. Uh, Although my family-in-law is British, and I think they do care about the royal family a lot more than I do. But it's like anything else. Yes, I would work for the royal family. I wouldn't even hesitate. So I am going to apply. I think I'm going to have some visa issues. But I was reading the article, Shelley, and it's so funny in the way they put it. So the salary is going to be around 55,000 pounds, which is 90 KU Canadian. That's right. Yes, it is. And the way they they put it in the article is it pays double the UK's average salary. And I'm like, well, this is what this role pays. It's around 90 to 120K Canadian, 55 Mm. to 60. So saying it's double the average salary, it's just not fair, right? Like it's kind of devaluing the role. It's kind of like saying a doctor gets paid 10 times the average salary. And is anyone going to complain about that? There's a specific skill set that you need to be successful. A little bit of tabloid stuff there. Isn't it? So I know. I thought so too. Did you read what they're looking for? They're looking for someone able to lead develop and inspire new talent, as well as support colleagues and hiring managers. They're asking for a recruiter. They (laughs) are. Talent acquisition manager. That's a recruiter. Oh, and they want you to lead and develop and inspire? Really? No, no. That's what your HR manager does. I don't think they defined this position description very well. No, I don't think they did as well. Natural communicator and strong organizational skills which I still don't know what that means, but someone will. So good for them. I'm glad they're hiring this role. King Charles is coming in and he's proactive and creating a role that obviously he needs within the organization. That should have been our tip of the week. Any unemployed recruiters, listen, King Charles is hiring. There's a lead for you. Imagine the non-disclosure you need to sign to be able to work there. Yeah, I know. Must be insane. 
Yes. You'd have to sign a gag order for the rest of your life. You can never talk about anything you see. Oh, and I'd be in trouble because I would share everything. So I probably wouldn't last very long. I'd be in the tabloids tomorrow being like, do you believe what what what? (laughs) (laughs) it'd be great. So I want to jump into the next recruitment insight. And this is something that we've talked about for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the importance and the change of the university degree. So there is an article in the Harvard Business Review that talks about the new collar workforce. I'll give you a little bit of background and then we can dig into it. So a team from Harvard Business School and Accenture recently analyzed middle skill jobs, which require some education or training beyond high school, but not a four-year degree. They found no boost in productivity when these jobs were done by college graduates. Well, I think the argument here is there's a large talent pool and there's still a ton of jobs out there that require university or or college degree. But the U.S. census data from 2021 shows that a majority of Americans who are 25 or older do not have a bachelor's. So this is 65%. The proportions are highest among Black Americans, 72%. Mm -hmm. Indigenous is 80% and someone who identify as Hispanic or Latinx, 79%. Mm-hmm. When we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, there's a massive pool of the workforce mm-hmm. that is just not eligible for a lot of these roles that need to be filled. And there's a good chance they would have the skill sets to do it. Here is what they talk about when it comes to how you should look at it. And one of them is building a new taxonomy of skills. The other one is broadening the talent pool, reimagining existing relationships, and retraining managers and scaling appropriately. I'm going to talk about two. Retraining managers, I think, is the most critical thing. I still deal with tons of hiring managers that on a daily basis, if they don't have a university degree because they have a university degree, Think less of that candidate, even though they're a rock star. The ability to retrain our managers to see the bias in a different way is definitely going to help us. The other thing is, I think the biggest challenge for organizations, it's really hard to determine the skills that you need to be successful in a role. It's something that you need to spend a lot of time really digging into. It's not something that can be done by one person saying, these are the skills. These are committees of people in large organizations that need to look at each role. Here are the skills that you need to have to be successful. Your experience and your knowledge and your credentials, in some cases, could be different courses you've been taking. So mm-hmm. what's your overall thoughts here? Yeah, if we kind of look back in time and realize why companies started doing this. And nobody ever questioned it through the years, right? To say that you have to have a bachelor's degree, it was really used as a way of filtering people out. That's become really clear when we see how it has led to really biased hiring practices, knowing that there are certain diverse parts of the population who don't have the economic privilege to go on and do a four-year degree. It was really used as a way to kind of filter people out. We know why it happened. You know, the retraining piece is really interesting because you're right. It is a lot of work to really boil down 
what skills are important, and then ensure that everyone who's part of the interview and selection process understands what skills we're looking for, what questions we're asking in the interview, and what constitutes a good answer. It's really not as hard as it sounds because it's probably more about going back to the skills that were captured in the job description. And really, it's probably more about training your leaders. Listen, you're going to ask these three questions because that's your area of expertise. Just slicing it up that way, rather than trying to retrain all of your supervisors and hiring leaders from scratch. If you're hiring for you know, call center, and you want to ask interview questions that will give you evidence that this person can handle someone who's at a heightened emotional state, because listen, you just cut off my electricity, and I'm calling customer service, and I'm going to rip your head off, because you just happen to be the one to answer the phone. So what question would you have to ask if somebody's got the skills to deescalate highly emotional customers? That's what Mm. it's about. Yeah, that is a skill. And I think right now would be a really good time to be in the corporate learning function, just because there is so much need for learning and training and putting training programs in place for people that might have the aptitude, but are untraditional candidates is going to be absolutely critical. How do you leverage even internships, apprenticeships? Did I say that right? Apprenticeships. 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 No, apprenticeships. Apprenticeships. (laughs) I think there's going to be a lot more work done on that aspect. I think any organization that is looking at learning as a critical function of their organization for the future is going to be ahead of other organizations. Mm -hmm. Agreed. All right, let's jump into a couple of fun topics that I'm going to tie together. You remember Shelly? Yeah. When the pandemic hit, then it started loosening up a little bit and people started traveling everywhere. They go to Jamaica, work for a week and then spend Mm -hmm. a week on vacation, kind of do a combination or rent an Airbnb in Nova Scotia on the water and spend a couple of weeks, spend a month, spend six months and work from there. It was really a nice perk, especially in a time that there's so many burnouts. But lately, organizations like what we're talking about last year as far as boiling the frog, well, it's come to fruition, right? Like, let's do hybrid. Suddenly, everyone in the office, organizations are shutting this down. You are going to be working here at this particular time. Don't expect to work out of Jamaica or Nova Scotia or Banff. You are going to be working at the office all the time. Interesting approach. What's your thoughts? Well, there's Instagram Reel, and she's become super popular. And I'm sorry, I can't think of her name at the moment. But she does this whole series where she's on a cruise ship. And she's working. And she's getting everything done. And so she kind of does these two way conversations of like, have I met my targets? Yes, you absolutely have. In fact, you've exceeded your targets. And have I ever missed a deadline? Nope, never missed a deadline. Okay, so you want me back? Why? I wonder, like, there seems to be this old fashioned thinking that you have to be unhappy to be at work. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't get it. If you're getting your work done and you're meeting all your commitments, as you said you would, 
Why would it matter to me? Well, I think it's a little bit of command and control, right? Type of management that still the management group is very familiar. If you're not at your desk, you're not working. Even though there is so many examples of, and I know a lot of people that could be working anywhere and execute flawlessly and actually put better work. And I've seen it Mm -hmm. firsthand. Just to lump everyone so they don't need to individually manage the people that are not performing to me is a bad thing for the employees and the employers across the board. Because I think the next story that we're going to talk about is a perfect correlation because there's this new trend called bare minimum Mondays. So bare minimum Mondays is basically people are trying to figure out a way to do the least amount of work and stress on Monday to get through the day. So my first gut reaction is like, I guarantee you the ones that are working from Jamaica or wherever are not those people, but they're being lumped into this kind of more lazy culture. So if we put this in place that people are doing bare minimum Mondays, which first of all, I think is it's gross. Like I, I can't get behind that. I am an employee advocate, but if you're getting paid and you're going to work on Monday and not putting any effort, well, guess what? People are noticing. Leadership notices, your colleagues notice, everyone notices. So when layoffs come, don't complain because you will be laid off. And I really have no sympathies. I think employers, instead of performance managing employees, are just doing the easy way out, being like everyone in the office so they can avoid having those tough discussions with those lazy workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, I think it's what you said earlier. There comes a point where people just do feel like it's command and control. If you take that tact with people, I believe most people will feel like, what's the point? If you're reporting to someone or going into a job that you basically hate, then people are going to respond with, well, then I'll just do the bare minimum, which is really a sad way to go through life. It is. There is so much opportunity out there. And tying all these three things together, if organizations move towards skill-based hiring, that opens up a whole host of opportunities that normally the door would have been slammed in your face. Yeah. You know, those people who are doing a bare minimum Monday or quiet quitting, it's because they're in the wrong job or working for the wrong company. If you're dragging your ass into work on Mondays, you've got that pit in your stomach on Sunday night. Fuck, man, take control of your life. Get a different job. Why go back in if that's the way you're going to perform? Because you're right. It's almost like putting a target on your back. Really, you're going to be surprised if you're part of the layoff group. Yeah. You're barely showing up to work and you obviously hate it there. Like, why would you do that? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I think a lot of these articles are sometimes, you know, a little bit of headline grabbers. Well, I think this is, and it's based on a TikTok of someone similar, but she's basically going through her days and advertising how she does her bare minimum Mondays, which I'm like, oh, you've you've got a lot of guts. But I think it's so different, right? The generations and how we treat work. Because your generation was like, you slave away. It doesn't matter. They're the boss. You're going to work 80 hours if you want. Then I'm Gen X, which is... A, a little bit less, still very hardworking, but very corporate focused. The people coming in different generations just feel different. In some ways, I, I respect it. I, I respect they feel different. But if you are going to work, why not work? 
if you're spending most of your day of trying to find ways to avoid work, like how is that helping yeah. anyone yeah, you're at doing, all? You're, yeah, just just quit. Just go do something else. Is, it's not is, like there aren't jobs out there, man. Like, there's plenty of jobs. Yeah. Well, talking about plenty of jobs, let's talk yeah. about a recent article that I read in the Recruiting News Network that talks about small business doing talent hoarding. And this rang a bell because a year ago, a lot of tech firms were saying they're hoarding their talent. Then obviously we saw what happened with that and a lot of them got laid off. But I think it's different with small business. I think their methods and motives are different. So let me read a little bit. It's an Insight Global study to report that 80% of small, medium business say they are talent hoarding. They're keeping their talent because they know if they lose them, it's going to cost them a lot more. They feel good about their people. Half of small business owners have improved compensation to prevent their team from quitting. Mm -hmm. 46% have been actively trying to communicate transparently to their employers in order to retain them. You don't see that in large corporations. 89% of small business plan to continue the practice of labor hoarding in 2023. And 40% of them say they are labor hoarding to decrease their hiring and training costs. They are reporting that they are saving around $4,500 per hire on average by holding on to their workforce. And 70% of small business owners fear conducting layoffs because of inflation and recession threats and the ability to replace them. Growing up, I wanted to work for a large corporation as my career has progressed. There's many, many benefits of working for a small business. And I think we're going to start to see that shift. I think a lot of people that wanted to work for the fan companies or the top four accounting firms are like, oh, I don't want to work 90 hours and not be appreciated. And the minute it gets hard, they're going to lay me off. As a small business, it's going to take a lot more time to consider that. Thoughts? Mm -hmm. This great article, by the way. I've always believed that there's really two or three types of people. You know, when you think about the big companies, there's a reason, like when you come out of school or, you know, you first enter the workforce, there's a lot of prestige associated with who you work for. The same can be true for people who work in small organizations. And I think of mid-sized clinics, medical clinics that specialize in a particular type of surgery, like hips and knees or whatever, but it's really prestigious to be part of that group. As a small, you know, define small. Small is that like 30 employees or less, you know, so you're at like 100 employees. It's the prestige of working for this talented group of surgeons. I think the first motivator that people have as to whether you work for small business or large business has to do with the prestige or the brand, the brand of the organization. Yeah. And, you know, people that want to work for big companies, it's usually shorter lived, mm. I find. Because there's a reason you would be attracted to that big brand. I mean, some people spend their whole career in going from nothing but big brand to another. Mm. And it's very different when you take a look at how do you maneuver yourself in a company of that size? Like you're a natural politician. Like you yeah. get and like playing the corporate political game. There's something out there for everyone. It usually takes people, I think, into their second or third job in their career to kind of make that decision. 
Like I'll never work for a big company again. Right. I I just won't like, I can't stand the politics and the maneuvering, but then I also don't want to work for like a family run company and they've just had a big fight and they're bringing it to work. Like things are so tense. I I want to do that either. I think you mentioned before the show, I think the perfect spot is like 200 to 500 employees. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think it changes as your career goes, because if you're starting your career to get the most breadth and depth, a larger company is going to bring you a lot more. Also, having a strong brand on your resume is really helpful as you move forward. So I think this can change as your career goes. But when you're starting to hit my age and your 40s, you're like, yeah, do I really want to play that large corporation politics anymore? Not really. I just want to get stuff done and move quickly. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it can change as you age. But also, a lot of employees right now that got laid off from large tech firms that they were a family until they needed to lay them off. Now we're like, maybe a small business is a better fit for me. And, and recruiting for a small business is a different challenge, right? You yeah. know, you're not relying on the brand. You need to be really good at what you're doing and selling the value of this business, but it is possible. It's mm-hmm. just a different approach. You can't rely on the strength of your brand. And I would also add that it is more the medium size. Like you're right, the 200 to 500 employees those are the companies that can react quickly. When we yes. talk about labor hoarding in 2023, the fact is that they're big enough that they have the means to do things, whether that's increased compensation or whether that is to move quickly and change the way we hire, we're going to hire for skills. And so a company of 200 can do that really quickly. Yeah. Whereas any of these major companies, you try changing that basic part of the organization and it's like turning the Titanic. They're just going to run into icebergs. They can't do it. They can't. I agree. So I agree. So Shelly, I'm tired of talking today. So I think we (laughs) shut it down for another week. You know, Serge, I do enjoy getting so much time with you, but you're right. We've done a lot of talking today. Thank you So so much. That was some great topics. Anything exciting coming up that you wanted to share? Nothing exciting. We're still needing to figure out if we're going to unleash in April. Oh. Might be an option. Mm. We'll see. We're definitely going to be at Wreckfest and a couple of other events. I feel like we're a family and I'm like going to you saying, Dad, can we go to can we go to (laughs) Unleash? I'm waiting yes. for you to make the decision, quite honestly. Because if you say we're going, then then we're going. You're in. Okay. okay. Well, something well, to consider. Okay, well, Dad. You tell ha- me. Ha- that sounds really bad. Like, I'm glad you used Dad and not Daddy. But on that note, <laughs> you gotta go. Have a great week. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Shelly. You know how much I love programmatic advertising for recruitment. It saves so much time and effort in trying to figure out where I can get maximum exposure and value in advertising my jobs. Yeah, for sure. It is a game changer. And you know who I love too is AppCast. They are the leading programmatic job advertising platform that helps you reach the right candidates fast. Definitely. AppCast advanced targeting and real-time optimization technologies make sure that your job ads are seen by the most qualified candidate. Plus, 
They have a team of experts that's always there to support you and make sure you get the best results. It's so true, right? AppCast has just got the nicest people on staff. They're just a pleasure to work with. And tracking your job's performance in real time is the other big plus. Being able to see exactly what's happening, what's driving the applications, where they're coming for. And at the end of the day, it's about making hires. And where else can you expand your reach across 30,000 sites? Your candidates are everywhere online with AppCast. Your jobs will be too. So check them out at appcast.io. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.